What about like a synth noise under the intro tune? What do you reckon? Like when I get the proper kit, like a like a cinematic big swell. I think that sounds ridiculous. Hans Zimmer meets acoustic guitar folk. No. No? No, I like it as it is. All right, well, let's hear it. Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to yet another episode of Yet Another Couple Podcast. This is episode six now. Yay! Across the threshold, we've done the first five. Hi everyone. Welcome. Nice to have you. Um, today, what are we going to be talking about? We're actually going to be doing a lot of food chat today. Yeah, finally. We've, we've staved off the food chat in detail for the last five episodes, with, with the exception of Condiment Corner, but we're going to bring it home today. Yeah, and if you're hungry... Maybe don't listen to this right now because we are going to be mentioning a lot of food names. Go grab a snack and then come back. Yeah, maybe get a snack while you're about to listen. Um, And I think this is probably something that's quite close to home for both of us. And also something important to talk about. And maybe if you don't know a lot about this topic, what's the topic? The topic today is British Indian food. Uh, and also versus Indian food versus Indian food uh, and why they're different why it matters uh, where it comes from and what it means for us or what it meant for us growing up in Britain as Indian people Um, this is something that like you say is is relevant obviously if you're Indian and British um, but also relevant even if you've just ever lived in England and had Indian food in England because I feel like that is literally everyone uh, given that Indian food is so ingrained in the consciousness of England um, yeah, it's just something that we felt was really important to talk about. We're not going to say that we're, we're, you know, breaching novel ground by talking about No, this. I think a lot of stuff we're probably going to be talking about has been spoken about, has been written about. We just think it's interesting. We talk about it often enough. And, like, I think we've had enough experiences separately and together mm. um, to warrant us, yeah, discussing something like this. Um and I think giving both types of food, British Indian food and Indian food, its own kind of identity and acknowledging mm. their histories and how they're different and how they're both good, but they're different. Yeah. I think I've, I've kind of come full circle a little bit in realizing that I, growing up, I was like, this isn't Indian food. And my parents would be like, that's not Indian food. And I'd be like, yeah, that's not Indian food. But now I'm like, Foods meld, cultures meld into one. You, you, you adapt, you steal, you incorporate. And Indian people do it as well. It's not just English people doing it, Indian food and stuff. So I think recognizing different spaces for different foods. Yeah, uh, is, and it is, I, mean, a, I, think, um, I think now because we eat so many different types of food, different types of cuisine, we appreciate that cuisines can merge together, um, take from one another, adapt, and it becomes its own thing. Yep. It's not... It's not trying to be something else. And I think what we want to maybe clear a little bit... Is clear the air. Clear the air. <laughs> a little bit that it, is, it isn't the same. And, like, we're, as Indians, and I think all our friends will agree with this, we're happy to acknowledge that British Indian food is something and it is different to Indian food, but it's good. Lots of people love eating it. We like some versions of it as well. Mm. But it's not the same as food in India yeah, um, or Indian food as a whole which is honestly a huge 
So vast. It's so vast. So yeah, there's so many variations, so many regionalities. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's just acknowledging that and appreciating the past and the present. Yeah. And just being happy about food. So there you go. There's a disclaimer already for you guys. This isn't to offend anyone, whether you're on the... It's British... also not a rant or anything. It's not a rant or anything. It's just to talk about our experience. I think we've kind of previously, this would probably have like an emotional undertone to it of feeling like you're not being represented. However, this doesn't, this podcast isn't meant to reflect that. It's meant to just show that you can have a measured discussion about these different types of food. And even if you care passionately about food, Indian food, British Indian food, you can just talk, look at it from both sides. What is British Indian food and why is everything curry? <laughs> um, so I think British Indian food, no, I think, I mean, we've both read, watched, kind of absorbed lots of information about this, but British Indian food is originating from the British era in India back in the 17 and 1800s, and then how that traveled to Britain, the rest of the empire, and became an adaptation of what the Brits liked about the food in India. Yeah. Um, and I think the curry part of it comes from, well, so just to kind of do a little bit of definition, curry pretty much translates to sauce. Um, there isn't really any broad dish known as the curry or mm. curries. Mm -hmm. um, it just pretty much means like a thick sauce with tomatoes, dairy, onions, different combination of spices and it can be used as a base for many 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 dishes but it kind of originated from what brits liked eating in india usually with a meat or fish and it would have this base and then that traveled and became yeah the introduction of the word curry and i think it was early 1800s yeah and then right. that word also then traveled to the likes of japan the caribbean lots of other like parts of the empire basically and then became its own thing you know like i'm gonna say like katsu curry um and then the caribbean like different styles of curry but like it thai all, green curry thai green curry so like that word traveled obviously all these curries are completely different but it means a base and it's a sauce it's a gravy base of a dish i think the word curry fills this giant linguistic black hole in the english language where we can't actually find the right descriptors to like encompass everything that goes into each unique dish. Yeah. So in the absence of that... It's kind of it, like a blanket word. Yeah, but it's a blanket word that kind of... I don't know, I feel like it kind of marginalises and like clusters so many different cultures' food into one. Yeah. And I think that's been my biggest gripe of the word curry, is that it just, it just washes everything over with the same... paints everything with the same brush. Yeah, it's like using, I don't know, like, yeah, I think the painting... Uh, description is pretty good because it yeah it's kind of using the same i don't know red yellow blue yeah but then over all these different cultures and different spice mixes and etc etc um i think a really good like before we get carried away talking about this particular word mm. i think something that talks about it really really well um and i would absolutely recommend everyone to watch this is dave chang's ugly delicious show yep where there's an episode on don't call it a curry is yeah. the title of the episode so if you are interested in a little bit more about where where it comes from and the like kind of different meanings of it in other parts of the empire that's not just india yeah have a look into that but i think most cultures especially japanese culture caribbean culture it pays homage to 
the fact that the word kind of originates from the spice mixes in India. Yeah. And the spice trade that occurred mm -hmm. during the British era. Yeah. 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 Um, so, I mean, we could even say that there is no such thing as a curry. It doesn't actually exist yeah. in a sense that you can't tangibly, you know, say that one thing is a curry um, because, yeah, it's, it's too wide-reaching a word to really have something that I fits. always find it, like I said, like, I think the closest... It's like calling everything sauce. Uh, is if you can yeah. have a tomato sauce, you can have a white sauce. Like I'm just using very broad examples, sure, sure, but sure. it's like putting the word sauce on everything. It does work, and I think even we're almost like guilty of maybe going to a Thai restaurant and ordering a red curry or a Thai curry and not thinking about it any more than that. No, of course you can think about it from a very superficial point of view. I, I think it's almost better to do that in some ways because otherwise you just end up down this rabbit hole where we currently are. Yeah. Which is like, wait a minute, why are we calling it that, and why can't we call it something that's more I, I guess, like, acceptable from to the culture it actually originates from. And I think it's quite difficult living your life like that. It is, yeah. And I think we're probably in a better space as a generation for people to acknowledge, at least some people to acknowledge. To have a conversation about yeah, it. Yeah, at least have a conversation to acknowledge and realise that I think nowadays you can call dishes by their, you know, in quotation marks, authentic name. Yeah. Um, but... Again, what we're talking about is where this word came from. And yeah, back in the 1700s, like people probably didn't think about it as much. And this word was introduced as a way to simplify a huge diaspora of dishes that people didn't know what to call mm. them. And also, it is its own thing. Like a, a, an Indian curry, as the British Indian cuisine would have it, is its own thing. Like Because those sauce bases don't really exist in India. Um, but they're kind of almost focusing on the northwestern Indian style of food where there is a bit of a yeah tomato onion base mm. with different spices and they can be I don't know 100 different things or 200 different things but it comes from there and it's what people try to do to kind of spread the word and make other people well Brits in the UK or other parts of the world know what this type of food is yeah it makes it relatable yeah. in a way coming back to your sauce analogy mm -hmm. i've just thought imagine if you told a french chef that we're not gonna call it a bechamel hollandaise bernoisette tomato whatever sauce they're all just gonna be called sauce from now on that's it that's it that's the equivalent you're yeah you're you're removing the delineations and the subtlety and the complexity of all of these different ways of cooking a sauce and you're just calling it a sauce you're, you're reducing it to its basest description. Yeah, that, I think that's where it's true. But I also want to counter you mm -hmm. by saying that curries are differentiated. So, like, I mean, I'm going to name a few British Indian curries like Vindaloo, Korma, Tikka Masala. They, they're all different curries. But those curries, as they are in the British Indian cuisine, don't exist in India in the same way. Yeah. So they're, they're very different dishes if you eat them in the UK or places what sell Indian curry, you know, maybe in America or Australia even, mm. um, versus if you'd eat that in India. But I think they all fit, they all like sit in the same cultural space and context, whereas like... Yeah, so it's British Indian food. Yeah. It's, not, it's not Indian food. And I think actually where we're coming to mm. is why it's important to differentiate and yeah. appreciate both cuisines 
as their own thing. Yeah, uh, and I think to try and understand where that sort of difference came from, obviously we've talked a bit about why they're different, but in terms of how they were, I guess how British Indian food was downloaded into the British consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you mentioned the 1800s and Victorian era cookbooks uh, potentially is like a way for this food to be like an entry point uh, into the British vocabulary Mm -hmm. Um, and there's this really interestingly titled book called cookery for private families which is written in 1860 Um, and it's apparently the first mention of this thing called curry powder yeah Um, and in the book they talk about how British food to be fair talk about how British food is really boring and bland and how we need to incorporate some more fun elements from across the world from places that we own which is also India because that's us um, and incorporated that over into <laughs> the British Victorian era. Yeah. I mean, this all goes back to the spice trade. Like, let's remember why the British went to India in the first place, mm. is to discover spices. and Loads of cool shit. Yeah, gold, spices, and that's what... Spices were known as the gold, like the, the entire spice trade back in the day was that's what it was about to discover all these ingredients pepper was basically you know just as valued as a gold was and that's com- that's coming from south india sri lanka mm. um so that was kind of the basis of it anyway yeah um and then to kind of put that into the kind of norm of you know british day-to-day cooking cookbooks and then eventually restaurants that advocated this style of food and almost yeah simplified it because simplified it. you can't narrow down this entire almost like yeah yeah so this concept of curry powder came into being and essentially it was just a stock concoction of various spices most of which we would probably use in in maybe slightly different ratios or whatever yeah. in our own food but it just became this thing and then because that thing had a word everything that then was cooked using that technique or that method was then called curry or it it potentially is one of the reasons why it became known as that but then there's other theories as well like it came from the tamil word curry which is like a essentially a description for a preparation of a dish as opposed to anything else uh also we have spicing things like uh, these leaves called curry pata yeah curry curry leaves. leaves yeah um, which don't taste anything like curry. They taste. Well, this is a disclaimer. Curry leaves have nothing to do with curry powder. No, no. Curry leaves are, well, they're a herb. Yeah. Um, and you use it to flavor your food in a very particular type of way. It's very earthy and fragrant. Literally has nothing to do with curry powder. It's not in curry powder. And interestingly, <laughs> when you do use it in food in India or in Indian cuisine, it tends to be South Indian food that will use curry yeah. leaves as yeah. opposed to the Northwestern Indian food you were alluding to, which ended up in England as in our cookbook yeah. so like it's a bit of a weird one in terms of why specifically the word curry was used to describe all of these phrases and terms that we've tried to uh, essentially why did that become the umbrella term for everything we don't really know There's if anyone things. knows please link us or tell us why that came into place because it, there's so many different theories about why that that particular word was chosen yeah um, and yeah, I think all of them are quite interesting and I can see the possibilities of a lot of them. Um, just to also say curry powder is, it's, it's like its own thing. Mm. It's not, there isn't anything in India that is a curry powder. No. Um, we have garam masala, which is probably the closest approximation. To yeah. That. So garam masalas are a blend of spices. Usually five or more is what gives it its definition. Um, and garam masalas differ across India, across cities, 
uh, whereas curry powder is kind of like an amalgamation of a few different garam masalas, pretty much. Um, and it's a, it's its own thing. It's not... Yeah. You would not get curry powder in India if you turn up and are looking for curry powder. It doesn't exist. People will look at you funny. Yeah. So I guess going back to as early as the late 1700s to the early 1800s, that's the first kind of fork in the road when it comes to British Indian food and Indian food. Like they're kind of set on their own paths in time going forwards. Whereas you've got the... You know, people in India eating authentic Indian food. Well, I think we shouldn't really be using the word authentic. Sorry, yeah, that's true. British Indian food is also authentic to British Indian India, if that makes any sense. But yeah, yeah, I think let's not use the word word authentic because that can, you know, that can change along with the times. True, and I, I think saying that one thing's authentic kind of derides the other cuisine for being inauthentic. Yeah, and it's not. I think because it's true to itself, right? Like British Indian food is its its own thing which we've identified already. And it's its own genre of food. I think the irritation for Indians, especially, I, I'm, I'm not guilty, but like I'm, like I'm part of this as well. Like I get irritated when people confuse British Indian food with Indian food. That's the differentiation. Like if someone's acknowledging, oh yeah, I'm, I love, you know, this chicken tikka masala, this vindaloo, but it's British Indian food, that's completely fair. Mm. And I would think of it like that as well. Like if I want to go out and eat a tikka masala, which is good a lot of the time if you're in the mood for that. But that's British Indian food. It's not Indian food. Yep. That's the difference. And I think growing up in the UK, mm. we've both had personal experiences loads and loads of times. I think... Um, where people confuse the two. I think we're, we're pedants when it comes to this sort of stuff. But language is super important when you're trying to describe food. Like I think... Just giving something the title of Indian food versus British Indian food completely changes, for me at least, my perception of what I deem that food should or could be Same here. And I think, yeah, we're probably a bit snobby about this stuff. Um, And it means a lot to us. Yeah. And people may not care as much. And if you don't, that's, I guess, okay. But I think you should acknowledge it and just kind of appreciate that there was a part of history, a pretty big part of history, which led to a certain style of Indian cookery, which is British Indian. And it's okay to love that food as well, because again, some of it is amazing, Mm. but it's not okay to confuse that with food in India and what Indian food is like for Indians. So chicken tikka masala, I think, is something that is so... I mean, I, I think at some point it was voted... Britain's national dish. It is. It is. Is it still? Yeah. I don't and it know, is like... a. The thing is, it is a British dish. A British person. Yeah. Pretty much came up with that and um, that kind of combination of things that makes a chicken tikka masala. It's inspired by butter chicken in India, which is a dish in mm. India. Again, it differs in different cities, and the tikka masala was originally kind of, I guess, cooked up or um, you know created by a Bangladeshi chef. Really? For a British person. Interesting. And so it is, I, I, it is a British Indian dish. It's, it's not an Indian dish. A butter chicken's an Indian dish. But butter chicken in the UK is kind of like the same thing. Whereas butter chicken in India has slightly different tweaks and spices and ways of like how it's different. See, butter chicken is, I think, a contentious one. Because although there is no analogous Indian version of a chicken tikka masala, there is... For butter chicken, right? Like you get a butter chicken in a British curry house, British Indian. Yeah, place. that's what I'm saying. So it is different. Yeah. But 
butter chicken is an Indian dish ultimately. But for me, that like, I I can draw a direct comparison between Indian Indian food and British Indian food when it comes to butter chicken because I feel like because that exists in both. Because it exists, yeah, and yeah. I, and I feel like I then start to point out flaws in the British Indian version of it, which is that you kind of it's sweeter. It's yeah, it's sweet. You use cream for some reason. There's coconut in it sometimes. sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I think there's lots of like little nuances with it where. Again, like that's different people cooking food different ways. If we're talking about terminology and tikka masala, yep. tikka masala is not a thing in India. No. Nope. What you'll find that's slightly similar is the butter chicken, yeah. which is where it came from. Yeah. yeah. Um, if we're talking about terminologies, there's a, I mean, everyone will probably know what this dish is, a vindaloo, which uh, people think is a very spicy dish. It's kind of one of those, you know, hairs on your chest, get the spice going yeah, for like, the lads. I've heard this growing up as well. It's like, oh, can you eat a vindaloo? And I'm like, what, what do you mean? Which is, which is mind-blowing to me. That's like, that, apparently that's my definition of how Indian I am, according to people. If I can eat a vindaloo. Yeah, if you eat yeah. a vindaloo, you're like, you're a proper Indian, which is so odd. We'll come, we'll yeah, touch yeah. on, we'll touch on that a little bit later. But if you then go to India um, and have a vindaloo in Goa, which is where it comes from, the east, uh, sorry, the west coast of India, um, a vindaloo is actually from the Portuguese people mm -hmm. um, who went to India and it actually means potatoes cooked in wine usually with pork which is what they would have in Goa so it, it tastes nothing like a vindaloo that you'd get in Britain. Of course when you break it down it makes sense because you've got vin, the wine, yeah. and aloo which is the potato. Potato. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it makes perfect sense. And but if you're expecting be. a vindaloo in India well, firstly, you're not really going to get it in most cities. You'll get it in Goa, and it's going to be completely different to what you're expecting. It's actually not very spicy. Mm. So that's the kind of differentiation of wording. I'm just imagining a British holidaymaker who's gone to Goa... Wanting a spicy vindaloo. And, well, gone there and then found vindaloo on the menu and be like, oh, that'll be like whatever at home. And then... Why are you suddenly cockney? I don't know. I feel like that, that might be appropriate. Anyway. But, but yeah, it's, like a, again, it's not to say that a vindaloo is bad, actually. No. Um, like the British Indian one. It's just very different. And it's just the terminology is confused. And I think that's generally what happens. Whereas, I don't know, there's all these other dishes. And you know what? My dad actually loves British Indian food. And growing up, we would often order takeaways every now and then with British Indian food. And my dad is a big fan of Dopiaza and Jalfrezi. Yep. Um, not Indian dishes, actually. If, if you're looking for those particular names of dishes in India, you'll probably find similar dishes, yeah. but they just won't have those names. So there you so go. So that it's... is the British Indian-ness of it. You can, and... you can be Indian and love British Indian food. You can be Indian and not really like British Indian food. You can be British and not really like either food, I guess. Yeah. You just have to accept that both different styles of cuisine have their own space. And I feel, I mean, I, I always think it's cheap to try and describe Indian cuisine as a singular cuisine, because it is not. Like, it is, like, several hundred cuisines in one. Yeah. And I think that's partially the trouble. I think that was the trouble with it when they transported, you know, this type of cuisine. So I think if probably if we go back in time in the 1700s, 1800s, pe British people in India probably knew what Indian cuisine was, and they loved it. Like, that's the reason they transported it. But it was so wide and diverse that it was probably just narrowed down for simplicity for people back home. Yeah, and you distilled the bits that they found most palatable, perhaps. Yeah, and, and that just so happened to be the northwestern Indian type of food. And if you British Indian food, if you're finding similarities, it's probably most similar to Punjabi. 
kind of style of food. Oh, we'll probably not offend, the same. offend a lot of Punjabis by no, saying No, I said that, most similar. Like, yeah. Punjabi food is very different in India, but it's like, if you're thinking of just the basic, yeah, like the tikka masalas, the, the, the kind of onion sauces, the spiciness, it's most similar to that yeah. particular region of India as opposed to a southern Indian, east Indian, central Indian yeah, yeah, yeah. food. And that's what travelled well. Yeah. Um, I think nowadays people are pretty well versed in some regionalities of India like people do know what southern Indian food is a little bit more than they used to Um, people will probably know what dosa is or like a Carolyn fish style dishes Um, so so I suppose this kind of takes us on to a bit of a discussion on the current state of Indian food in in Britain which is uh, not something that we necessarily planned on talking about but I think is a natural segue because the lines get blurred further because you have Indian food that exists in England, but it is Indian food. Like, it's not attempting yeah. to be... British Indian. British Indian. It's not trying to fit that same mould or that same space of British Indian food. It's unapologetically what you would try and have in, in India. Um, and it's, like you were saying, like, it's trying... This regionality has started to come into our consciousness a little bit more. Of, Probably, like, in our... In our lifetime. In our, yeah, not even like early lifetime, though, like what, since we started going to university. So probably in the last like 10, 15 years. Yeah. A bit before that as well, because we probably didn't eat out as much and sure. like observe as much. Um, and it's, I think there's, there's been a few waves of Indian food in the UK. Mm. The first kind of being, you know, in the early 1800s yeah then there was a whole migration of bangladeshis and in the 60s yeah um in the yeah so sorry 1960s yeah sorry 1960s um and then that became the whole kind of what everyone knows as the curry house culture of like the baltis the jalfrezis and whatnot chicken pasanda yeah all these kind of dishes which were for the British palate so that that was Indian food that was cooked by Indian chefs Bangladeshi chefs more often than not Um, and it's it's, again it's its own thing it's British Indian cuisine and it's trying to cater to the British palate Mm. it's slightly sweeter Um, it's slightly more dairy based as well to like kind of give it that texture Mm -hmm. and the other kind of quite like entertaining part of it is I think if any of our friends are listening to this is that British Indian food is always judged by like how spicy everything is and like you can have a korma and that kind of means you're not good at eating Indian food because that's not spicy and it's sweet and then you can have like I don't know the vindaloo or yeah whatever the spiciest like you know British Indian curries are you're not a proper brown person yeah and it's get pummeled by spice it's really bizarre because I think especially people like us or like our parents again, like where food in India is not judged by how spicy it is. Like it's just not even part of a, it's not part of a thing. Like you don't go to a restaurant and order like dishes from of ranging from not spicy to spicy. It's all based around flavor and what you want out of the dish. And I think that's a very British Indian thing to like judge almost like a Nando's style judgment of like sauces and how much spice you can take. Whereas that's just not a thing in India. I mean, we've already established your Nando's heat level uh, in a previous podcast. And we know that I am superior in terms of my tolerance to spice. Um, And that does actually make me a superior human. I'm sorry. That is great. Cool. That's how we rate. I think I was actually judged as a not good Indian back in school when people asked me what curry I would eat. And I'd just kind of go for a mid-level one.
I think the conversation then to summarize is that there are these completely separate food cultures that have this common thread, which has come in several waves, but it's common thread of migration from India to England. Yeah. And it's now been incorporated in such a way that although there's a lot of similarities in where they come from, You've got to recognize them as their own things. Yeah, and I think um, if we're talking about how British food, or British Indian food, or Indian food is like in the UK now, I think there's there's almost like two different like sections to it where London is kind of like its own bubble in terms of food competition. And we know this living in London. Like yeah. Indian food is very big in London, and you can go out for a British Indian sort of meal and the, you know, the kind of old school favorites of like Brick Lane, which we've never eaten in any of the places, by the way. No. We walk past them a lot and we get invited in a lot, but we've never eaten in any of them. And then there's the kind of new age, almost like competitive regional Indian cuisine yeah. in the likes of Soho, the city. And a lot of that is very good quality food. But what's um, confusing is even in amongst that, there are other places that are still kind of peddling out the same boring Indian food, like British Indian food, just dressed up in a way that is sold at a higher price point. Yeah. So there's a lot of kind of different sections to it. Um, you can have the kind of Soho, and I'm obviously being very generic here, but yeah, the Soho city sort of Indian cuisine, which I actually worked in that industry for a little while. And... It's very competitive. There's a lot of incredible food coming out of the kitchens. And I would say that's very authentic Indian food, you know, in quotation marks again. Yeah. Where it's actually very kind of talented chefs coming from India, cooking food in London, because that's where kind of a lot of the competition is. A lot of the fame can be achieved in that sort of scene. Yeah. And it is Indian food. I would call that Indian food. But there's also the Brick Lane side of things. But then there's also like Harrow and Wembley, which has, again, what we would call, quotation marks, authentic, like regional Indian food, yeah, which is at a lower price point than yeah. what you'd get in the center of the city, which is fancier, a bit more competitive. The interiors are different and it's kind of the whole atmosphere. Um, but you can also, when we've done this, go, go into... Um, Hounslow, for example, which has a like pretty dense population of Punjabis mm. and have some incredible Punjabi food, which yeah. is not British Indian food, it's Punjabi food. Yeah. Um, and then go into Wembley. Wembley and have some amazing Gujarati food. Or go down to like the south, like towards Tooting and have some of the most incredible sort of Southern Indian, Southern Sri Lankan, Indian or food. Sri Lankan yeah. food. Yeah. So you can do that, but then you can also eat very incredible kind of upmarket, finessed Indian food in the center of the city. And I used to work for a couple of the establishments that did incredible regional Indian food. And it wasn't called British Indian food. And it, it was it's very popular. I think people in London especially do know how to differentiate that, that now. And they probably wouldn't have done 20 years ago. Yeah. And I think for myself as well, like, or for both of us, maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago, whatever, we would have thought, oh, uh, there's this food that's not Indian food and I don't like it. I don't know what it is, but British people seem to like it. And whereas now, I think we're fully accepting of this alternative or just this different thing that exists. It's just about what you want. If you want, you know, like, quote-unquote, Indian Indian food, have it. If you want British Indian food, Yeah, exactly. I think, like, like, similar for us, like, when we'd, like, we'd be in the mood to eat, like, a 
kind of almost, yeah, British Indian style curry, we would know where to go and eat that. But then we wouldn't go eat that if we wanted like, you know, a bit of Gujarati thali or like a dosa, which you'd get in um, around like, yeah, Wembley area or like Harrow area. Yeah. Um, so you, you'd have to know where to go. But I think ultimately what we're again coming to is differentiating between the different movements of Indian food and how to appreciate all of them yeah. in their own forms. And just on a little side note, I think this might be quite interesting. There's also a whole subsect of food in India called Anglo-Indian food. Completely different to British Indian food. Yeah, so that's gone the other way. Um, and where we come from, Kolkata, there's actually a big, we call it continental food, or again, yeah, Anglo-Indian food. Has nothing to do with curries, by the way. So that is food that Indian people liked from the British era, and they've adapted it to the Indian palate. So I'm trying to think of an example cello right now. Cello kebabs? Yeah, cello, cello kebabs a bit, is a bit more Persian, oh, but again, yeah. that's adapted. Um, but there's lots of like, I mean, you can get like the whole bacon, sausage, egg with some masalas in it and chilies in it, and that's gone the other way. And then you have like the whole patisserie side of things. So yeah, that's quite like a, if you guys want to have a little look into that, Anglo-Indian food is very different to British Indian food and Indian food, and it's kind of made the reverse journey yeah and there's plenty of families especially in and around Kolkata um, and then in Goa Pondicherry that have the western style of food adapted into their Indian food and it's that's its own cuisine as well and sorry to add yet another layer of complexity and murkiness to this already quite murky discussion about food boundaries but there is now also British Indian food seen in Indian menus in India. So you can get chicken tikka masala. You can, yeah. In India. Which so it's is, kind of travelled backwards. It's travelled back. Like it's it's done the whole loop now. It's like gone to Britain, it's become its own thing. Now it's come back to India and has entered the Indian vocabulary again. But almost as like a new thing, which is I find amazing. I just find this sort of stuff really fascinating how food can just morph and travel and become a you know, like adapted and accepted. So yeah, really, really fun. There was another dish that I really wanted to mention. And again, we're going to very lightly touch upon it, but you guys are welcome to read about it a little bit more, uh, which is probably quite well known. It's a British Indian dish called Kedgeri, uh, which is also mentioned in um, La Rue's Gastronomique, which is a French cookbook. I mean, no. the French cookbook for any cooks out there. And that has a very kind of murky... Indian origin. Well, I say murky, it's pretty clear to me. Mm. Um, the kichari or kichari, kichari, there's lots of different Kichari, kichari what, yeah. lots of different um, variations of that word. That comes from the Ayurvedic style of cooking, which is lentils, rice, a bit of ghee, which is clarified butter, ginger, some spices. And then the British loved that food, that particular dish, especially when they were in India, but adapted it to the British palate by adding some smoked fish or some meat on top to almost add the protein element, which is now we know unnecessary because lentils have that protein, um, and turned it into a breakfast dish. And then it traveled, came back to the UK. It's very well known. It's, again, it's its own completely different dish. It's not kitchery. So if you're wanting an Indian style kitchery, that's very different. Kedgeri is quite different. It has some meat or fish in it. Well, smoked fish is the classic and then hard boiled eggs. But kitchery across India, 
every region has its own little take on it. It's almost, well, not almost, it's known as temple food. It's very holy. It's packed with nutrients and we eat it often enough, but we eat kedri. I don't think I've actually ever eaten kedri, maybe once. I have, and I made the mistake of thinking it was going to be comparable to kichiri and that's my fault it's an expectation versus reality thing like if you just see it as its own separate thing and treat it as such then you're not going to be disappointed i'm sure it tastes great yeah but it's like one of those things that like it's a really good example of something that's traveled then become its own entire thing and you shouldn't get the two confused because they they will taste very different as well if you're expecting one thing from the other you're going to be confused and upset like roger was yeah exactly don't be confused and upset like me, just have a great time. I think we should probably just touch on our own experiences of what it was like growing up. Go on, you do this because I feel like you have a more interesting experience right. than I do. Okay, so Go for it. <laughs> I obviously went to school in a number of places, um, but I spent a lot of my secondary schooling in Liverpool specifically, um, and in a boys' school in Liverpool, uh, which wasn't the most culturally diverse space one could imagine um although there were still you know people who moved and were doctors and had kids so there were brown people there but i feel like we kind of all got lumped into the same group of like affectionately known as curry munchers by friends at school which now is shocking in a kind of more politically correct world that we live in but back then i wasn't really offended by it at all it was like yeah you, you know it's just something that your friends call you um but thinking about it even in, in like a tiny bit more depth than I have, why why am I being called a curry buncher? <laughs> what like honestly? I speaking, shouldn't why, laugh. I'm sorry. Why am I being? Because I don't even. You eat curry, right? Like you are. You're British, right? You eat curry. I eat Indian food. Like I don't sit and eat <laughs> your definition of what you think curry is. Like I eat Indian food. I so feel like you. I... I feel like you have scars from this experience but it's a scar that i've only just realized like oh. i literally just in the conversation leading up to this podcast i was like wait a minute why were we called curry munchers i wasn't called curry muncher we meaning you my, me people like us other brown people at school that i went to this is true i mean i think a lot of the reason why sometimes i probably get more angry than i should about these like nuances is probably because again growing up as an indian person in a pretty British school and I, I don't even think the school I went to was that British there was plenty of Indian people in my school um, but everyone does get lumped under this kind of blanket word of like oh everyone must eat curry at home and you smell of curry and your house must smell of curry and what's I, your favorite curry yeah and I think as a kid it's it's quite confusing um, a little bit upsetting probably yeah um, and I remember being just kind of defensive about it and that's probably why I'm slightly still defensive about it because I feel like it shouldn't be lumped under one thing and I could never explain it back in the day uh, obviously you're, when you're younger that I don't actually eat curry at home at all like no. I think maybe this... once every month when my dad wants to order Bangladeshi takeaway we eat curry but that was that's it we don't eat we don't eat that at home the the smell thing is really interesting like I think Dave Chang speaks about it as well when he talks about sort of Korean food and the fermented smells and like not wanting to smell like a Korean person it's unfamiliarity at, it's the, unfamiliarity. End of the, at like... the end of the day and like when people don't know what to call something or how to relate to something they put it under this one word and people get offended and it, it's it's hard to kind of explain um yeah yeah and 
ultimately it, all the kids that we're talking about and I'm sure this happens to many more people in a, probably very different ways but if you're all lumped under one thing it's just because people find it unfamiliar yeah um, and I remember I never I've never really been kind of embarrassed or offended by this stuff because I would as soon as I was allowed to take lunches into school during my A-levels I'd always take my home dinners or like Indian food for lunches and I'd never get offended by it because to me that was my food yeah but I know plenty of people were pretty aware of it and the fact that it smelt different it looked different and I just feel like people shouldn't. You should embrace it. And actually, people find it very interesting. I had plenty of friends wanting to try my food. <laughs> See, I think you probably had more maturity than a lot of people would have at that age. I think I I was still definitely in the boat of um, wanting to try and mask aspects of my culture to a certain extent to try and avoid being too different. Mm -hmm. uh, and including, you know, food and the smell of, like, whatever I'd be wearing. I want to make sure that nothing even remotely marked me out as a target to be yeah you know like different different yeah, yeah. exactly and it's that it's and it, uh, i suppose the irony is we tried to make ourselves as undifferent as possible and we're talking about curry being as undifferentiated a word as can be and you know just how yeah and i think when people don't know what certain tastes or smells or visuals are then it just becomes more complicated as a like if you don't want to then go in to explaining you just don't want to go into that at all and then you just want to be the same as the other people but I think we've all come a long way from that hopefully and to be honest I don't really care I don't mm. think I ever cared if some if someone actually comes to me and says oh you smell of curry I'll be like well it's because I've had really delicious food at home I, it wasn't curry though and it wasn't curry but you're welcome to come and try it if you want and yeah. I'll feed you yeah have it um yeah, I think that's... Uh, we said we wouldn't rant 40 minutes ago. I think we've done a bit of ranting, but also a fair bit of measured discussion about the whole topic. Yeah, I hope it wasn't too ranty. I don't think, I don't think so. I think I've come a long way from ranting. And I can rant sometimes. And I will always rant when people use the words chai latte. But I feel like we should have a whole episode on that. Or dal soup. Dal, or... dal soup. Oh, God. Just, or just... dal curry. Was it dal curry? Dal curry soup. Just just stop, people. Look up dal. D-A-A-L. D-A-H-L. We should have a dal episode. We should have a dal episode. Because dal is not a bloody soup. I'm sorry. It's just not soup. Okay, we're ranting. We're ranting. <laughs> and we're going to call it a day. <laughs> C -c -c Condiment corner. Well, that was like, there was no transition. Yeah, you don't need a transition for Condiment Corner. You just, you just know it's coming and you just, you just accept it because it's here. You know what it is. No. Do, do you have a condiment? I do. All right, go on then. Hit Tamarind me. sauce. Ooh. Probably my favorite condiment, I think. I could drown myself in tamarind sauce. I know you could. Uh, I've, had to, I've had to stop you a couple of times from, you know. Tamarind sauce is amazing. Um... Let's start from the basics. If you've had, you've probably had tamarind sauce actually in a British Indian restaurant, um, often yeah. served with papadoms, uh, aka papars uh, in India. Um, and it's usually one of the dips. It looks dark brown. It's like sweet and sour. Uh, slightly similar to pomegranate molasses that we were discussing. Was it last episode? Sure. Yeah. Um, it, tamarind is a fruit and it grows on really really tall trees um you don't eat tamarind well i do but most people wouldn't eat tamarind as is because it's very very sour um i absolutely love it and if you love sour things you should really try eating some tamarind it's great 
it's not just harsh sour it's a little bit fruity um it's like a concentrated concentrated plum maybe is if you've really never had tamarind is what i would explain it as um but it's way sourer than that isn't it no i'm saying really concentrated yeah like you know but anyway you should try some tamarind it is actually available pretty much everywhere um if you haven't had tamarind in the year 2021 i don't know what you've been doing where have you been what have you been doing it's in so many cuisines just have it just oh. go find some find a block in tesco or open sainsbury's or woolworth's or open your Coles eyes. if you're in australia everywhere has it um you can buy it in a block um there's two types of blocks for anyone who is a tamarind novice you can have it with seeds or without seeds i would recommend getting the version with the seeds because that is that is probably the most like untainted one and you can make tamarind sauce with that by simmering tamarind hot water either jaggery uh, molasses or sugar um, in pretty much equal parts as tamarind um, and then you get a lovely sweet sticky sauce and you can sieve it and it is amazing you can also buy tamarind sauce it does taste quite different to if you're making it from scratch um, if you're buying one i would recommend the maggie brand it's really good the maggie tamarind sauce um, and it has a little bit of cumin and ginger and stuff in it as well which is quite nice I really enjoy the feeling of when you get really sour tamarind sauce and you can feel it in your gums. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's like, like really like... You just Aah! feel it in the back of your That's gums. That's my noise for sour things. Aah! Yeah, and you just want to keep dipping and have more of it. Yeah, it's, um, it's really good. And tamarind exists in East Asian food as well. It's used in Thai cooking. It's used in some parts of Vietnamese cooking as like part of the dipping sauce. And you should absolutely go and try looking up some recipes for different tamarind sauces because I've given you such a basic one. But with that one, if you're simmering, you can add cumin, you can add some salt, you can add some ginger, you can add some chilies and kind of play with it. Um, always best to make your own tamarind sauce, even though the shop, some of the shop ones are good. What you should look for if you are buying a shop bought bottle is like a really dark brown color. Don't get something that's like kind of a murky see-through-y brown because that will just have a lot of sugar in it and it won't really be very tamarindy. Mm. Um, but again, I always think it's best to check on the back of whichever bottle you're buying how much percentage of tamarind is actually in there. And uh, the last thing I should probably mention is tamarind concentrate, which you can buy as well. Yeah, tamarind concentrate is basically... I guess just the tamarind part of it. There's no sugar, there's no salt in it. It does taste very different to pure tamarind, the fruit, because it's not as fruity, it's quite harsh. It can be used in different types of recipes, though I use all three versions. Like I make my own sauce, I have fresh tamarind, I have concentrate, and you shouldn't be substituting one for the other, to be honest. Um, they're, they're used for very different things. But if you haven't, go get yourself a block of tamarind or a bottle of tamarind sauce. And you'll in. never go back. Honestly, it's the best thing. Open your mouth, open your eyes, have a great time. If you guys have any suggestions for topics for the next couple of weeks, always hit us up. Ears open, let us know. Eyes open for messages that come through. Yeah. Lots of love. Have a great week, weekend, guys. Love <laughs> you, long time. This has been yet another couple podcast, recorded by me, Rigel, and Shahini. Engineering by me, Rigel, and Shahini. Editing by, you guessed it, me, Rigel, and Shahini. And sound effects by neither of us. Sound effects courtesy of the Anchor app. 
um, and the theme tune by me, Bridget. Thank you.